Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hey, Liz. Hi, Maggie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You look extra pretty today. Like you, your microphone and your shirt and everything matches the Inside Out logo. And oh, I thank love you. It. Very. I am. I am accidentally very color coordinated with the wall and yeah. <laughs> and my microphone. You're right. The microphone. There's a lot of purple and teal and pink happening here. And yeah. Right. This is riveting content for an audio. I know. Podcast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If only you could see it. You know. <laughs> they don't know. We, you y'all don't know, but we are just ravishing this morning. I mean glowing. You look really nice today too, by the way. Like you just look like I, I, I'm surprised you said I look nice because I like have not showered and I just, <laughs> you look like put together. Like you have like, you know, I like have you have places today. to go today, you know, I'm going to go somewhere after this. So yeah, uh, you're right. For you. You're right. <laughs> well, what are we talking about today? I am really excited for this actually. And I honestly just finished this book this morning, like the last <laughs> 20 minutes of the book. That's perfect. We're talking about Die With Zero, which is the name of a book that's been, it came out years ago, right? Okay. Two things surprised me as I was refreshing myself on this book. One, this book only came out in 2020. Oh. Isn't that surprised? I thought, I feel like people talk about it so much. I thought this had come out years and years ago. When did you read it? Mm, last year, I think. Okay. And also- the author, I do not think looks like what you expect a guy named Bill Perkins who wrote a book about retirement savings to look like. I, well, I was going to say I agree, but I actually have no idea what he looked. Okay. I did see a picture of him somewhere from like when I listened to a podcast interview. He does look different. He is very handsome. <laughs> you thought Bill Perkins would be like a nerd and now you think he's hot. I was scrolling through his Instagram this morning and he was like, hello, here's a shirtless photo where I have all of the abs, every ab. I, I did didn't know you I didn't I didn't know that's what you meant by he's not what you expected that is just yeah I kind of expected I thought you more meant like his face with his business shirt on which is what I found when I just googled him when you google him there are no shirtless photos so apparently I need to follow him on Instagram it was <laughs> I just you know I googled him and the Instagram came up and I started scrolling mm -hmm. and I was like oh wow look at those cheekbones and then I was like oh wow look at those apps and then I'm going to like his Instagram stories now he, well first off on his Instagram story he He's like wakeboarding behind a massive yacht. Exactly. Not what you think of about a guy named Bill Perkins who wrote a book about retirement savings. Well, for what it's worth, which we'll get into, it is what I think of in terms of what he says in the book of like enjoying your money while you're alive. I mean, he's yeah, clearly you're right, you're right. enjoying his money wake. What, what did I say? Wake surfing, according to this. Even though wake surfing was a thing. Wait, I mean, it is a very large boat. Very, very large. Yeah. Like not a boat. It's a yacht. It's bigger than my house for sure. Bigger than all of our houses combined. I believe. That is amazing. But there's no abs photo in his recent stories, so I must have missed those. Well, but I'm now looking for where I can get to the abs. <laughs> well, maybe you can look at the abs later. I'll I'll send it to you. But there's also one of him in a in a cowboy hat, which I also didn't picture. He's wearing like a suit and a oh wait, mm. I just found the abs. Just found it. <laughs> Double tap. Like <laughs> he does have more abs than I was expecting. Been working well, out. He's 
like he's got a lot of life figured out, which I guess is why he wrote a book and it's been really popular. It must be doing well. I'm not even sure what he did before this book. That doesn't matter. Let's just talk about the book. But he... I think he was a Wall Street guy, at least early on. Anyways, that explains some of his stories (laughs) in the book. We're going to both have to say focus to each other. Focus. Focus, Liz and Maggie. Okay. 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 So what's this book about like at a very high level? Yes. So the book encourages readers to consider their own mortality and to challenge traditional ideas of saving and retirement. It promotes the idea of consciously spending money on experiences and opportunities that provide enjoyment and fulfillment rather than accumulating wealth for the sake of accumulating wealth. Obviously, I was reading that. You sound like ChatGPT. (laughs) That's that's from ChatGPT. That's why I say that. So so he the very we're gonna get into like what we thought of it and our Mm -hmm. big takeaway from this book, which kind of was like, I'd say like a little bit of like a cult following. Cult's the wrong word, but it, it, he, it got a lot of momentum. And I've been hearing about it, obviously, I guess since 2020, I thought even longer maybe. And it's just, it's been on my list to listen to for a while. And so we'll share our takeaways from it. But his big principles that he summarizes himself at the end of the book are, and this is like word for word from his book, just so you know, mm-hmm. he, he mentions, four, he recaps with four things at one point. And he says, invest in experiences that yield long lasting memories. Always Always bear in mind that everyone's health declines with age. Give your money to your children before you die instead of saving for their inheritance. And then learn to balance current enjoyment with delayed gratification, which I thought was a good I mean, it was obviously his own key principles for his own book. So, of course, he did a good job summarizing it. <laughs> and those were many of my takeaways were a little bit different on some points. And I think yours were too, Liz. But mm-hmm. those were important themes throughout the book, if you will. Right. And it's not like any of this is new. I mean, essentially, he's saying use your money as a tool to make yourself happy. But I think the way he's packaged it and branded it is really effective. Again, you and I both thought that this book had been around for like 20 years and it's three years old. Yeah. And the other, I think the other thing that is sort of new, like when you say it's not like this is a new concept, for me at least, who has perhaps been a little bit more entrenched in the like FI, FIRE, FI, which is financial independence, or FIRE, which is financial independence, retire early. The, the whole Friends on Fire podcast that I did for the last three years prior to this was very rooted in not necessarily these principles, right? N- not that it, not that they don't have some things in common because they're very focused on like enjoying your life, but they're pretty heavily rooted in frugality and in many ways stigmatized spending, which we'll come back to on some some endpoints. But so so from that angle, to me, it was a little bit different than some of the other finance books that I digest or have, you know, consumed, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you say this all the time, uh, talking about personal finances, like Mexican food, like there's 10 ingredients, you can only sort of put them together in so many ways. But it's like, I think a lot of books, a lot of blogs, podcasts, and stuff just have a different stack ranking. So even though Friends on Fire focused a lot on frugality, it was always with like, oh, but do the things that make you happy, like do the things that bring you joy. And it's almost his framing is like, do the things that make you happy, but also be like, frugal where you need to be whereas you might have yeah in the past but in fairness he like prefaces this in the beginning and it's worth us doing the same that this book isn't targeted towards everyone right mm-hmm. and he specifically says that it's targeted towards people with does he use the word like some level of means no that was just my memory of it i mean i think he specifically he does open with that point though right yeah it's one of the first things he says in the book and i really appreciated that that he was like this book isn't for everyone if you're experiencing poverty like i don't i don't really have anything for you like yeah and i mean i'd go different i'd even 
add on to say like not just poverty but like if you're just in a different mode of your life like you're super stressed about money you're in debt payoff mode whatever this is not necessarily the book you want to read i mean i think all books can be interesting and you can take stuff from them and compartmentalize it for some future time or season in your life but this isn't the book i'd encourage you to read right now if you are uber stressed about money and again in in a massive debt payoff mode but I just, I, th- I think you're right, Liz. I appreciated that he prefaced it with that. And we actually went and asked, um, we put a, I put a post on Instagram and asked who had read this book, which I accidentally did as a quiz, not a <laughs> poll. And then, and there was like wrong answer depending on what you said. But anyways, I also asked people just what people thought of it, if they had read it. And, you know, the reviews were pretty positive overall. Like a lot of people were pretty passionately, uh, I don't know, just positive about the book. And so I thought, I thought that was interesting interesting too, because that, that tends to be kind of the echo chamber of like people we are around mm-hmm. maybe talking to are in that they're, they're on a FI journey or they have amassed more financial resources. And so I, I think more of the people commented that this was a book that they really appreciated and enjoyed and was helpful for them to hear, but it is not going to be enjoyable or helpful to everyone at every phase of life. Yeah. I think it, this book is definitely the best or, you know, people with some level of means um, who need to focus a little bit more on an, an, on spending their money in a way that brings them more joy. And I, I really like firmly believe that most people fall into two different buckets. Most personal finance content falls into like two different buckets. And one bucket is, hey, like you're spending too much. You need to be more mindful about your spending. You need to like cut back. And then the other group of like, hey, you're kind of being a miser or you're hoarding money and you need to get more comfortable with spending it. And this is is solidly in that second yeah, camp. Yeah, very true. Although, I mean, th- I think there's also a lot of great conversation about people who are on a debt payoff journey of like, you know, you can't just like live your life miserably. You still have to like do a little bit of living. Yeah, that's while true. you're trying to do that. So anyway. very much. I always like like the pioneers and some other people in the personal finance space for making that point of, yeah, you do not have to suffer through mm-hmm. getting to a better place with your finances, which he doesn't really talk about. He's more talking about, I think, once you've amassed the money, enjoying your yeah. life. And and again, a, just a general philosophy for money and your life. So I take back what I said, actually. This could be an interesting <laughs> book to listen to when you're 20 and you haven't yet amassed a lot, but you want a philosophy about how much money to even focus on earning and mm-hmm. you know a bunch of other things. So I, I'd say like, Liz, like what is you like overall think of the book like did you like it like what's just your overall synopsis i i have a whole thing about books that could have been blog posts <laughs> this book, yeah. this book was it, it could have been a magazine article but i thought the points were really good and we'll talk about some of them but specifically the idea of memory dividends is something i now think about all the time and again it's not like a new concept it's not like i'd never thought like i should have experiences that give me great memories but the yeah. way he framed it in terms of dividends that pay out over the rest of your life i thought like it's worth reading just for that. But I also sometimes tell people, I'm like, if you don't want to read the book, just listen to a couple of podcasts about this book because there's plenty of them now, including ours, and you'll get the gist. That's a great point. I listened to him on a couple of podcast interviews prior to reading the book, and I felt like I had already read the book. For a minute, I actually was like, when we talked about doing this, I was like, wait, have I read the book? And I was like, no, I've just listened <laughs> to him. But he, oh, someone said, book was good, but he came across better in an interview. Check out Pete Atia's podcast. I've not heard of that one, but I'll put a link in the show notes to it. Actually, okay. I listened to an interview of him this morning, just while I was doing some other stuff to to refresh my memory on this. And I, well, he made one comment in this podcast interview about, he, he, he was talking about trying to convince a friend to go with him on vacation. He's like, come on, man, like, don't be a P word. <laughs> I was he like, said that? 
Yes. And I was like, ew. I'm surprised he didn't self-filter that. He sounds, well, that just makes him sound like a bro to me, but. I agree. So I thought, I also read the book like with my eyes. I thought he came across better in the book than I didn't listen to the audiobook, and I hadn't listened to him on a podcast before this. So your mileage may vary. I listened to the book and now I want to know if he read it because I just assumed he did because a lot of books like this, the author tends to read the book themselves. I have such a strong opinion about this. I think no author should ever read their own book. Really? Unless unless it's like a celebrity. I think that for fiction, perhaps, but I think the opposite for nonfiction. Like if you're if you're prophesizing your ideas to me, like I want to hear your voice because that to me is part of the experience. But I think that person then should start a podcast. Like if you're going to write a book, the words should stand on their own in like a very even neutral reading. Because if I'm reading the book with my eyes, it's not like I'm getting, you know, your intonation and your your emphasis. So anyways, I don't mean yeah, to take us down a rabbit hole, but no, no, it's okay. Okay. Narrated by, yeah, it is read by Bill Ker- Perkins. So what it was him talking to me and mm. whispering his sweet die with zero nothings. Now, now I'm just going to wonder if he was like wearing a shirt or if his like abs were out while he was reading it. I hope that's not offensive. That's not as offensive as him saying, don't be a P word on uh, whatever Ugh. podcast he did. So, well, I mean, he, I think he would, to be fair, I think he was relating a story from when he was younger. So maybe he wouldn't say oh, that these days, okay. but it's still just casually throwing that out at like, you know, it was yeah. early in the morning. I was like, whoa. Hi. Yeah. I, I probably would fil- filter that out of my podcast. I would. Every time you say that on the podcast, I always like cut it out. <laughs> you know, I don't put it into the final episode because I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to do Liz a solid, you know, I'm going to clean her up a little bit. Well, that foul language. This is a um, joke to listeners <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> that was a joke. Speaking of that, uh, I mean, not speaking that unrelated, but do you, are, do you appreciate how color coordinated my cup is? Not planned, but also on. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it. From some random thing. It was not planned, but it looks nice in the scene that nobody will ever see except you. <laughs> you should take a screenshot it later and uh, get it on the gram. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're, I don't even know where we were. We were talking about his abs and something. <laughs> So let me jump into one of the things that was like one of my biggest takeaways from the book. One of the things I've thought back to a lot of times, one of the biggest examples that he gives throughout the book, throughout all of the recaps I've read of this book, podcast interviews is spending money on experiences when you're younger and specifically on travel. And the example, like the classic example is here is go backpacking through Europe, stay in hostels in your twenties, because you're, you're not going to want to do that in your sixties and you're not going to be in health. Your back's not going to feel good couch surfing when you're in your 60s. And the, I I actually like had a lot of anxiety when I first read this. I was like, oh no, it's too late now. I don't have a time machine. I can't go back into my 20s and travel. And you and I had talked on a previous episode, like I didn't even leave the country, I think until I was in my 30s. Yeah. But even though that's the example that he gives a lot and that I see cited a lot, it, it it's made me reflect that I actually do prioritize experiences that aren't necessarily travel. I like traveling and I think maybe not as much as you do, but Like I have for the last many years, I have a line item in my budget around live performances. So Mm -hmm. concerts, plays, lectures, like if someone is performing live, I want to be there. I will show up. It's one of the things I missed the most in early pandemic days. And even like trying new restaurants, even things we we do this thing and we call it a destination walk. So I love going for walks. I go for a walk every day that it makes sense. But getting in the car and driving a few miles away and going for a walk in a different neighborhood because that's a new experience. And I do have memories of going to different parks around the city and, and scoping out different na- 
parts of my own neighborhood. It doesn't have to be a big grand adventure to Europe yeah. to be something that pays memory dividends. Yeah. He definitely just talks about experiences, right? And the importance of that. And I, I mean, you talk about like, you know, you can't go back and, you know, redo something for your from your 20s. But I think his point, like for people that are in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s, even, it, which would be us, is we're still young. And one of my biggest takeaways from his book on that point is it 100% revalidated my decision to early retire, which I didn't exactly need. But there are some days where I think about how much money I used to make and what I could do mm -hmm. with that money. And, you know, I, I wonder, like, had I read this book a little bit early, would I have retired a little bit early? You know, but e it doesn't matter. But either way, it, it validated the path I am on and I'm taking, which I am still at the phase of appreciating that validation, you know? Yeah. And he alleviated many of my fears, which are slowly alleviating themselves through actually being early retired and those fears not coming to fruition. But I always appreciate like an extra push towards alleviating my fears. And he really talked a lot about like, you know, not letting your financial fears rule the decisions in your life. Like there was a big theme around like seize the day, right? Carpe diem. And I just, that, that to me was one of my big takeaways. And while we're talking about like being younger, I've recently had this epiphany in early retirement also, in which you, you may find interesting, Liz, that, you know, like the way Greg and I are living our lives right now, there's times where I think like, I, I feel like I'm taking a step backwards in a way, which in terms of my ability to manage life, like I told Greg the other day, I go, I, go, I feel like we're like acting like teenagers sometimes in our, <laughs> in our like sleeping in and just being a little bit more like lackadaisical about our days and our my ability to handle responsibility and higher functioning tasks has been lowering lately. And I can't even think of any like good examples, but I'm just less on top of a lot of things than I used to be. Totally. I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but or I, I think I've even heard you say this before. If you want something done, ask a busy person because you're like when you're in getting stuff done mode, yeah. you can just sort of throw something else on the to-do list and it gets done. And I was thinking about this the other day because I had a really busy day. And when I looked at the day, I knew if I wanted to work out, I needed to get up early and do it first thing in the morning or else it wasn't going to get done. Whereas on a Saturday, I'm so likely to be like, well, I could work out in the morning, in the afternoon yeah. or in the evening. And then I literally do not work out yeah. at all. Like yeah. I just skip it because there's no momentum. There's no pressure to try to squeeze things in. Yeah. Well, so I've, I've been noticing that and that is uh, like a real thing. And I've been kind of observing it. But before I even read his book, I uh, like a week ago, I had this thought and I was telling Greg and I was like, but I feel okay with it. Because when I go back and look at my 20s and my 30s, I was overly responsible. And I always I had a job from, you know, the middle of high school I worked my whole way through college. I always had many jobs and I worked very hard and I was the like uber responsible, you know, I had friends that did go backpack through Europe. I wasn't doing that. Mm -hmm. I, I, in hindsight, I could have, but I didn't think I could have. Right. And I, I didn't yeah. have that mentality. And so lately I've just been having, I'm not verbalizing it well enough, but someday I will. And, and I might <laughs> even do an episode with Greg on this, but like lately I've been having this mentality of like, well, this is my season in life where I'm actually okay acting a little, little irresponsible, irresponsible is like an exaggerative word, but just acting a little less responsible than I used mm -hmm. to and not being as available to do certain things and just doing like what I want and kind of we're kind of having like you know how people say like a hot girl summer <laughs> we're, 
kind of having like a, I don't know what you call it, but like a, I don't know. It's like we're reliving our twenties in some ways. And yeah, I kind of like it. Like I was like judging myself for it at first. Hot girl summer. Yeah. Hot girl summer, but like hot retire early retiree summer hot fire a fire summer fire, fire, oh my good. gosh fire summer you fire summer it. yeah Perfect. like the fire festival you know except less of a, not a disaster of crap yeah 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 and anyways i just i think about that going back to you know one of the big takeaways from the book for me it's just it, it validated the path that i am on with greg and with our children and I appreciate some validation every now and then. So I I enjoyed the book just for that. And it was a really, by the way, it's like a five to six hour, speaking of your, like it could have been a blog post or a podcast, it's a five to six hour listen. And then when you do it on Audible, it's like when you do it at a higher speed, I mean, mm-hmm. on yeah, audio, it's really it's, like a three hour. It was listen. like three or yeah, it was like three hours. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it's totally worth it. I mean, just the validation for a life choice that can sometimes bring you ups and downs and feeling. Yeah. Like, I mean, totally worth it. Mean, if, if spending three hours and one audible credit to totally. reaffirm a yeah. huge life decision sounds like it was very worth it. Yeah. And it was a free audible credit that I get through one of my credit cards anyways. So it was even better. Yeah. Even Well, no, I mean, now though, if I want audible, I feel a little more okay buying it though, which we'll get to another point. Okay. But I, I'll say, I don't know what, so what, what are other, what are some of the other big takeaways for you? I I think from this book and from some other things I've been chewing on and, and reading, I'm really getting to a place where I just think I should spend money on what I want, especially on experiences. And like at this point, it's probably not moving the needle. Like I spent a lot of, of my twenties and early thirties worrying that I wasn't going to have enough to retire ever, not really understanding the math and not understanding that I was already on the path to be completely fine. And I read this somewhere the other day and it was such a little fun aha moment. So once you get to 50% of your fire goal, like the number that you want to hit to, to be financially independent, whatever that number is, once you once you hit 50%, if you just let that ride, you're about 10 years away from hitting 100% of your goal. Did I say and that keep, in a way that made sense? Yeah. and and But you keep working while you let it ride? Well, whether you work or not, like, let's say you save to 50% of your fire number Uh-oh. and you stopped contributing. You just said, hey, I'm going to coast fire. I'm going to just not invest one more dollar. Those dollars that you have saved and invested should grow with average returns to what you need to retire in 10 years. Obviously, that's making a lot of assumptions about yeah. what can, what's going to happen in the market. But it's just a really interesting way to think about it. People talk about Coast Fire and Coast Fire means you save up what you need to retire and then you stop investing. You work just to cover your current living expenses. So you don't have to save for retirement anymore. But it's like I've reached this point of like early Coast Fire, meaning even if because I'm over 50 percent, it's like, well, even if I don't invest another dollar, I'm still going to retire early at some point or would have enough to retire early at some yeah. point, probably in my late 40s. And so it, sorry, bringing it back to the book again, I am just. It, it was one more thing that made me say, I should say yes to things. I should say yes when I want to buy things, when yeah. I want to go somewhere, when I want to try a new restaurant. Because at this point, it's I have I have reached, I have passed the point where I'm going to die penniless eating cat yes. food. Yeah. Right. You wait, would you eat cat food? Yeah. Is isn't that, that cheaper? Like the cliche than, about oh, people know. who don't have enough money in retirement, they have to eat cat food. Oh, I don't know. I honestly thought cat food was like a little bit more expensive than some of the things I eat. So I wasn't sure. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't bought cat food in like 30 years though. Yeah. You're such a healthy vegan though. Your lentils <laughs> and tofu are probably pretty inexpensive. Yeah. My beans and rice don't cost much. I was like, cat food, that's way too expensive for me. No. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, actually. And like, maybe it was like bagged cat food, but not canned cat food. 
no, no, no. Yeah. Okay, off topic. Okay. So yeah, I agree. I mean, one of my big, I know I said I was going to get to it later. We should just talk about it now. What That was one of my big takeaways too, was to just not be so afraid to spend my money and to spend mm. it while I'm alive, right? Like yeah. YOLO, does that apply to this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he talks a lot about donating to charity while you're alive. Like what's the mm-hmm. point of waiting? I'm giving to your kids when you're alive, which we'll come back to because that was one of my big takeaways. And, and I don't take this book like literally. A few of the Instagram comments were were about people saying, well, I don't feel comfortable actually dying with zero. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I get that's like, that's a, you know, a pithy title for him. And it's it's a great title, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't take it literally, right? I just take the spirit yeah. of his points, which are to enjoy my money and my life. I've worked very hard to get to this point. And, and who knows? Like, it's not even worth going back and saying, what would I have done if I read a book like this 10 years ago, right? But yeah. I'm where I am now. And that's a reality. And I mean, back to the thing I was saying earlier of like fire, the fire lifestyle can get you to be too frugal mm-hmm. and can stigmatize spending your money in many ways. And I I've, I think I've always struck a decent balance with that, but I often find myself overly focusing on a smaller amount of money, not in all categories. There's certain categories like travel where I just, for whatever reason, I've <laughs> told myself I prioritize them and I don't question it. But there are certain things where cat food is not the best example because we don't have cats. But I will like, you know, the kids will ask to buy something at the grocery store and I'll say, how much is that? Which I still believe in. I'm trying to teach my kids to look at prices and to, Mm -hmm. you know, thoughtfully decide like, well, do you want that cookie that costs $5 or do you want this cookie that costs $150? Mm -hmm. And, but if they really want it and it's important to them, like I want to be very intentional and thoughtful about spending money while still not being like miserly about my money. And I think that's one of his biggest points is Mm -hmm. like, there's no, there's no need to be frugal just for the sake of being frugal. I think you you said what did you say like there's no prize for like who's the- yeah there's no trophy for like the most frugal and there's no value in suffering i totally agree yes there's no value in suffering and he he at one point said something about you know the senselessness of indefinitely delayed gratification which i really i i I just noted that point because yeah, there is no, like it, it's all of his, his big thing is about, he uses the term optimizing for net fulfillment or solving for total life enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So he's not saying just go out there and like blow your money on stupid crap and don't think about it. Everyone is different in terms of how much they're spending. And, you know, mm-hmm. for us, you know, Greg and I have a general idea of, you know, how much, and we feel good about it, like how much we can spend to continue to not have to work for the rest of our lives. But there's some wiggle room in that. Right. And we don't need to be so worried about certain things and should feel a little bit more free to spend more freely on certain things. And I like his perspective of on that. And to me, it was very, I don't know, freeing to hear him talk about. And he he talked about like the psychological shift of moving from savings mode to spending mode, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit of where Greg and I are at in our lifestyle right now of, you know, we've been saving up a lot for years and now we're, there's nothing to save per se, because we don't make money anymore. It's just what we spend. Right. Well, and he doesn't just talk about the, the softer way to think about that. Meaning, hey, it might be hard to think about saving money and then moving to spending it. He actually brings really concrete examples and he has data. And that was a part of the book I found really compelling to say, statistically, you know, this many people spend 
a lot less money when they're in retirement versus what they thought they were going to spend. This many people end up with more in their retirement nest egg when they die than they had when they initially retired. They were worried about running out of money. And instead, they ended up with all this extra money that was sort of went to waste from their perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I've used tools like the Seafire Sim tool. Have you ever used that? Yeah. You mentioned it when I came on Friends on Fire, actually. Oh. And then I went and looked it up. And That's so interesting. I realized I mentioned it during during your episode. I think so. You have a good memory. I'm, I'm guessing you are correct in that. But I, it's a cool tool because it does give you, it makes you feel better about running these scenarios in a more technical way than I could do on my own. Mm-hmm. And showing you that like, you're probably going to be okay, even with some of these unknowns in life. And hey, so speaking of unknowns in life, let's talk about like insurance and stuff for a minute, because he talks about insurance and annuities in an interesting way. And I know that was one of your big takeaways. Yeah, I thought this was so I thought this was one of the most interesting parts of the book. And I in that he talks about annuities as an alternative to I think what a lot of people in the fire world talk about in terms of just saving up your nest egg and then withdrawing 4% or whatever you consider a safe withdrawal rate every month. And I read this book. I've read a bunch of reviews of this book. Like a lot of people have been talking about it. I listened to his podcast interviews and I feel like no one talks about the annuities part, which I get. The the other parts feel a little bit more human, right? Like yeah. making the most of your life and getting memories and and maybe the annuities are not the sexiest part of this book. But I had always turned my nose up at annuities. I remember one of those people who comes in to talk to your work about saving mm-hmm. for retirement kind of poo-pooed annuities and said they're expensive and they're complicated and they're probably not a good fit for most people. And let me pause and say an annuity is a very broad term and it essentially just means any kind of situation where you're getting a regular payment on a regular basis. One way to think about annuities in retirement is like it's a way to buy fixed income for yourself. So you might say, I'm going to pay $100,000 to this company and in exchange, they're going to give me $500 a month for the rest of my life. There are versions of annuities that are like whole life insurance, which I definitely do not recommend. <laughs> but again, annuities is a really broad term. I don't, we don't have time today to get into like all the technical details. Yeah. Of annuities. Social security is technically an annuity. Like you pay into it for your whole life. And then at the end, you just get a fixed dollar amount every month until you die. Yeah. But it, he, so one of the reasons people sort of say annuities aren't a good idea is because you'll end up probably with a lot more money if you just invest your money into the stock market. But again, his big thing is like, we're not trying to optimize our life to end up with the biggest pile of money at the end. Yeah. So if you buy an annuity because it just gives you this fixed income and you don't have to worry about it and at the end you don't have this big pile of money left over, the annuity just stops paying you. That might be something to think about. Or doing a split, right? Is I think more what he talks about. Yeah. Like invest some money into an annuity to cover your basic living expenses and invest, you know, another the rest of your money to to sort of maximize returns. Yeah, he definitely like makes this point, but he kind of glosses over it quickly, which and he doesn't get into like a lot of details about annuities, which which, I mean, he gives like high level, but I think that yeah. might be one of the reasons why it's not captured as a common point. Also, it's just a little bit less sexy to talk about. <laughs> I thought his discussion about annuities and then also insurance were interesting because his point was he's trying to alleviate everyone's fears. He's like, everybody mm-hmm. holds on to money because they're worried about something happening in the future, which is my, I fall in that category. And he was like, look, so let's break down all the things that you're, I don't think he said it this way, but you start to break down examples. And he did break down some examples and he, used like people being worried about their medical care being really expensive. And he's like, there's a thing called long-term care insurance. Mm-hmm. That's for 
and you don't even need to get it till you're older. Like I, he was implied, like, I don't need to get it at my age. Like I should look into getting it when I'm like 60 or something. And yeah, I, I thought, I just thought that was interesting too, because it, his point was there's a solution and a product and annuity is one of those types of products annuities are to solve for your worrying about, you know, how, if you're going to have enough in the future and all of these other things. Right. He's big on insurance, which is, again, I think an interesting mind shift from some of the conventional wisdom in personal finance advice, because I, I know you did, you talked about this a couple times on Friends on Fire, but I, and I'm with Mike <laughs> from Friends, your co-host on Friends on Fire in terms of insurance. And like, I want to buy the least amount of insurance yeah. possible because that's going to give me the best financial outcome in yeah. the long run. Like I only insure myself against things I wouldn't be able to afford to pay for otherwise. But I think his point is a little bit more you actually can use insurance as a tool. You can leverage insurance, buy insurance, even if you think it's a little bit more than what you need, because that way you're protecting yourself against the worst case yeah. scenario. And you might feel more comfortable going out and spending your money on the things that bring you joy. Yeah. And if the goal is desire to die with zero, which is the point of his book. And again, I don't take it quite that literally, but yeah, then those types of products can give you a good way to be able to do that because you have enough to pay for your insurance premium, but you don't need any more than that because right. you know insurance will kick in. And yeah, I kind of fall somewhere. I, I fall closer to you and Mike on like, I, I'm self-insured essentially. And so are you. Yeah, like, exactly. You have enough money almost, to deal with yeah. those things. I'm actually really interested in one of the things that didn't I didn't look at as much because I don't have children, but I was really curious to hear your take was his idea of giving money to your children before not as an inheritance, but when it will yeah. be more impactful for them uh, in their 20s and 30s. I loved it. And that was one of my, I didn't know if you were saying that, by the way, it's like part of the podcast, but I liked it. I was saying it as okay. part of the Just podcast. <laughs> I'm going to take that. I'll take that bit out. You can um, leave it. That's amazing. <laughs> it, it's literally what I was about to say next. I loved that part, Liz. It was also something that I've actually thought about before, but he put a slightly different spin on it. I thought about it with my own mom. Ironically, mm -hmm. I had not thought about it with my kids though. That's funny. And and I thought about it with my mom actually for a different reason. I thought about it tied tied to optimizing for taxes. And oh, right. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. And so I did not. So here's the point he makes. Give to your kids earlier versus upon your death. And he basically at one point, I mean, when, when you hear him talk about it, it's like a different concept, but you're like, the idea of inheritances are like kind of silly. Like, he's like, you can't predict that. You don't know when and how it's going to happen. And he also said like the average age of an inheritance is around 60, which is, you know, like if when I'm 60, my mom would, be, the average person's parents would be like 80 to 90. And so that's mm -hmm. why it's just based on lifespan and how old people tend to be when they have kids. But the optimal time, and he had some, there's some like research, who knows something behind this, but he said the optimal time to give to kids kids would be 26 to 35, which is when they are old enough to not misuse it and waste it on stupid crap, but then young enough to where it's actually helpful to them in building their life. And so, and, and when you think about it, you're like, oh, that's like a new yet novel concept of, yeah, why would I want, like, by the time you often get, like, I think about my own parents, by the time they got an inheritance from, and, and I think they got a small inheritance from my dad's parents dying, wasn't a lot of money, but it was like a little bonus to them. Mm -hmm. They were already much more like established by then versus like when they mm -hmm. were in their, you know, 30s and 40s or you know, 30s, 40s, 50s and had kids and were like stressed out about money. Like that would have been way more helpful to them then. So his 
challenge and point is give your money to your kids or your heirs at a more helpful age. And I think this can apply to people who don't have kids. This can apply this. You take the charity example. He talks a lot about giving to charity while you're alive. And I think about that with you, Liz, because I know you're very into and educated on the idea of donor advised funds. And that's a great example of that. Yeah. I I just loved the, I just love this concept. And again, we started doing this with my mom of, I I gave her the idea of like, hey, you can gift a certain amount that's tax-free each year to me and my brother. And I even told her, I, I, go, I don't even like want the money. I just want you to get rid of the money. And <laughs> I, I go, it's safer with me. Like I'm going to invest it. I'm going to, I'm not even going to spend it. And I kind of like, and my, I don't know what my brother did with it, but I put it in something like in my net worth tracking, I track it separately and I call it my mom's long-term care fund. And what I told my mom, and yeah. she can trust me and my brother, I'm not sure if everyone can trust their kids, but I'm just saying she can <laughs> trust us, is that's kind of her long-term care fund. So if, if something happens and we need to start helping her with money, which I couldn't predict, but if that were to happen, then I'll use that money. And in in the end, I'd end up using my own money also, right? But yeah. And if you don't need to use it for that, then you would keep that. And it, it's sort of like front loading the inheritance, but you're yeah. hanging on to it in case she needs it. And then yeah, exactly. Which is it. why I say, I don't know what my brother did with it. He might've actually like used it for something enjoyable in his life, which is fine. Do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and he's still working. He makes more money. I mean, he's making money now. And so if he needs to help my mom down the road, like he yeah. could because he has a job. Yeah. That's a good point. I I listened to a podcast, Girls That Invest, and they talked about how this struck them as an interesting and kind of novel concept, but also something that in some families is already pretty common, but it's, you don't think of it as prepaying your inheritance. It's just money to help buy for a a down payment on a house or money to help with a wedding, paying for college, you know, getting set up when you start. So I I think it's something that struck me as like, oh, that's so strange to give someone their inheritance early. And then I was like, oh, actually, I guess you're right. A little down payments from my parents for a long time. They didn't in terms of, you know, them helping me through um, my, my college and, and early 20s years. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I have a very strong view on, and he actually told a story about someone like this who has like an Uber, like hundreds of millions of dollars, but they're not even willing to like spend it on their kids because they don't want to spoil their kids, their younger kids. And I agree with that perspective, but I now have this perspective of like, but as they get, I mean, I spoil them with like travel and really cool experiences Mm -hmm. in life. I want to teach them values about money, but as they get older, I do want to be able to like help them with a down payment on their house. I want to like surprise and delight them at points in their life, if that makes sense. Yeah. Good thing they don't listen to this podcast. So they'll be surprised. <laughs> you know, sometimes they actually do listen to this podcast. Oh, um, it's cute. I think they might listen to it more than like my husband listens to it, but maybe That's I'm wrong. Um, but I just love that. That to me was a big takeaway. And I really, I appreciated his perspective and it, it, it was something I soaked in and will is, is influencing the way I think about how to give to our kids over time. Yeah, that makes sense. So another interesting point from this book that we've talked about briefly in this episode, even Liz, Mm -hmm. I just want to double click on is he talks a lot about seasons of life, Mm -hmm. thinking of your life as distinct seasons. And I I love that concept. And I've heard others talk about it at times. And when I was talking about, you know, the hot fire summer, Greg and I are, it's not even a hot fire summer. It's like a hot fire year. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it's a season of life. And I, I, I love this concept. One of the things that I've thought about a lot since early retiring is this concept of seasons. And, you know, I, I've started to like in my head, break my life into these decade or multi-decade chunks 
And I feel like once I heard like Rich and Regular, Kirsten and Julian talk about this, or they were talking about like the 15 year career or something. Mm, but you know, yeah, we, we everybody thinks that you have to like work for, I don't know, 40 years and then retire. And, um, and I, and I love this concept of like, when I, sometimes I'm like, you know, why did I go to business school and why did I do that? You know, like to then leave my job at the peak of my job mm. and, I, I, and the peak of my earning power, which he talks a lot about, like you're the, the peak of certain financial points in your life. And I, I, I've gotten a lot of, what's the word? I've gotten a lot of solace through the idea of thinking of things in seasons and thinking like, well, I had a really, I had a 20 year season of my life between the ages of 20 and 40, where I worked incredibly hard and I achieved great success in how I define success at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. And I sacrificed certain things as a result of, you know, that time I delayed a lot of gratification. I am now not delaying that gratification. I'm gratifying it, right? That's part of the the hot fire summer. I, I, I just like the idea of that construct and reframing things and thinking about seasons because it lets me give myself permission to change in a way and to say yeah. like that was once my life and my identity and for now and I don't know how long and I don't need to predict exactly how long this is my life and identity and this is the season of life I'm in. Yeah. And I just I, I really that like meant a lot to me and kind of resonated a lot with me. Totally. I think the idea of seasons of life is a really helpful construct. And I've talked to you before about we we had a season of life when we lived in a tiny downtown condo and walked to work and lived this very urban life. And then we have... <laughs> kind of swung the other way into the season where now we both work from home. We bought this big house and I try to remind myself, I don't need to live in this big house for the rest of my life, but it makes sense for this season of life. I don't have to feel yeah. guilty that I spent probably more than I should have on a house because it actually makes sense for now. And I'm recognizing that I can switch it later. I think the way he thinks specifically about seasons of life in this book, though, is really interesting because it's like a warning of you don't have the rest of your life to do the things that you think that you want to accomplish. Like, don't wait to take the big trips and have the fun experiences until you retire. And I, I read the book uh, on my Kindle and he has these great charts. I don't know how that well they translated in the audio book, but these kind of peaks and valleys in terms of when you have money, when you have energy and when you have time. Were those the three? You finished it this morning. I read it like a year ago. So <laughs> I don't know. I was, well, yeah, but I didn't get the visuals. I didn't even, he didn't even like make the reference that there were visuals anywhere, which is, oh, all right. I, um, I like when some audible books do that. They'll tell you like, hey, I know you're missing out on some things, but go here and, you know. I know. I love when they're like, there's a free downloadable PDF. And I always yeah. appreciate that. And then I never, ever, ever in my life go actually download it. Oh, I always download them. They're sitting on my desktop and then I never read them. Oh, that's amazing. But I think he talks about choosing the right activities for the right season of life. And even I was listening to him on a podcast and he was either talking about himself or, or, or someone else and saying, oh, I really like hiking and I really like live music. And so I'm going to lean into hiking when I'm younger and my body yeah. can go for longer. And I'm going to lean into listening to live music as I get older, because that's the thing I can do sitting down. Interesting example, but point taken. Ta he does talk about like time bucketing your life though, and thinking of it as distinct seasons, which right, again right. is kind of the, yeah, the seasonal point. Okay. Let's talk about memory dividends. You you mentioned it like a couple of times and I, I feel did. like that was your big take, one of your big takeaways. It was, it was my biggest thing from this book. Like if 
again, if you don't read the book, just think about memory dividends. If I did read the book and a year later, probably the thing that comes to mind most when I think about this book is the idea of memory dividends, that you go have an experience by yourself with friends, whatever. And when you think back on it, you get these payouts because every time you think about it, you get to enjoy it a little bit again. And he actually talks about investing early. And it's it's such a funny parallel to the classic personal finance advice, which is like invest early so that you have time to enjoy that compound growth. And his idea is like, well, if you let's say you're going to live to 80, if you go on that fun trip when you're 20, you get 60 years to remember it. And if you wait until you're 60, you only get 20 years to remember it. But, but it actually gave me this kind of funny complex <laughs> because I am very much a creature of habit. So I like to revisit the same things. I like to go to my same restaurants over and over again. I like to go see artists I like in concert over and over again. I have trips. Um, you know, I, I have a, a beach resort that I like to go to once a year. And I have started thinking, should I just literally go to the beach resort next door for a slightly different experience so that I remember it better? Because otherwise all my memories blur together. All my dividends are all blurry. Well, that, but what you just said is like variety, you know, like, you know what you like, but you're still getting those memories. I mean, I guess maybe they could be blurring together, but you're still, you're investing time and money and things that you enjoy, like eating good food. You just like a place that you eat the good food from, right? Like, yeah, which I don't think is a bad thing. You're a creature of habit. But I think like, okay, so I, you know, I love Lyle Levitt. He is one of my all-time favorite artists. And I've probably seen him in concert 10 times. And mm -hmm. I I could not pick out any of the differences, right? I'm oh, not like, oh, yeah. year three, they played this song. And year five, there was this great guitar solo or whatever. I, I kind of have this one mushy memory of all of those times. Whereas bands I've only seen once, I, I, I remember it a little bit more clearly. Well, here, here's like a yes and. Okay. If Lyle Lovett was playing in Atlanta and you uh -huh. came to visit Maggie and yeah. her, and then you like that, and I'm just using that as like an example, but like, mm. so think about, I mean, I get your bigger point, but like, think about if you were to take some things, like some creature of habit things that you really enjoy or be like, oh, next time I go to this beach resort I really love, I'm going to invite some close friends and family. Or in the examples he gives, because he can afford this, I'm going to, he's like invites and treats some people that otherwise couldn't afford to come, you know, on this trip with me. And I think that's just an interesting way to think about the memory dividends and like still taking something you love, but being like, well, how, what would make me be able to remember a Lyle Love right. concert different and not have it, you know, mushed together with all the ones I've already been to. Your examples are so much better. I was like, yeah, the next time I go to that beach resort, I should get a fabulous new swimsuit to wear. And then I'll remember that. Trip <laughs> I like was the you're like, I'm going to go to the resort next door. Like, <laughs> But I would remember it differently because everything would be different. The, the one time I remember the best, uh, I remember the first time we went. And then I also remember the time I went with and we a I got a coli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a memory dividend. That's not oh, not the uh, a different kind of dividend than what he's talking about. Right. It looks like Lyle Levitt is playing in Atlanta in August. So oh, maybe promising. you have a guest room, right? I do have a... Well, actually, technically, I don't have a guest room anymore. I have... Uh, I kick one of my kids out of their room. Like I Greg's see. mom's yeah. coming today, actually. And... Yeah, we just we kicked someone out. We gave up our guest room for a gym and other things. I could sleep in the gym. That's fine. Yeah, you actually, actually, it's not a bad. That's where we make our 14-year-old go sleep. And it, there's plenty. <laughs> it's actually not like she kind of like thought it was fun, I think. All right. Well, okay. 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 So I want to hit on this, like, to me, a very related point. And actually, one of the Instagram comments of people who sent in a thought said, said, I tell everyone about this book slash principle now. I enjoy it and I equate it to Ramit Sethi's rich life. So speaking of Ramit Sethi's rich life, some of our good friends actually recently sent us, sent Greg and I this 
Ramit Sethi interview that he recently did. And it was, mm -hmm. and it was his, it was his pot. It was Ramit Sethi's podcast, but the actual episode was episode 108. And it was titled, we achieved fire with 4.3 million. Why can't we enjoy it? And our, it's what's funny is some friends of Greg's and I sent it to us. And then I saw that it was actually people I know, not well, but that I've met Mindy and Carl Jensen, who are fairly well known in the FI community. And I actually watched it on YouTube because I was suggested from another person, a listener of this show, actually, shout out to Tyler, that it was worth seeing their facial expressions during it. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I never really thought about that. And so I watched it and it was, it was, it was just a really, it was a fascinating interview. And I, I listened to it in the same week that I listened to Daiwa Zero. And I often think it's interesting when these kind of different points and worlds collide. And what I thought was so interesting about it is these were two people who are so highly value frugality. And, and like we said, the FIRE community in itself highly values frugality and many ways stigmatizes spending. And Ramit was helping Mindy and Carl realize that they were actually living suboptimally because they weren't able to shift from that savings mode into spending mode, which he which is what the his rich life kind of approach is all about, is like enjoying mm -hmm. your life and being intentional and balanced and like many of the same things that Bill Perkins talks about in Die With Zero. But I just think they're they're very related in how they approach enjoying your money, like saving and doing good with your money and with your finances, but also enjoying it. Yeah. You don't, there's no trophy for like biggest pile of money. The trophies yes. are the experiences or the security or all of the things. Yeah. Money gets and, you. And Bill Perkins' point is actually the opposite. Like there's maybe a better trophy for like dying with zero, right? Because then yeah. you enjoyed yeah. your life and you enjoyed your money and you gave it to friends and family and you got to see and experience what they did with it and how it improved their lives, which I know I'm going back to a previous point versus now they think about it, like what's the point in being dead and seeing your inheritance? You never get to see your inheritance spent, like what mm. people did with it versus you give it away while you're alive. But anyways, I'm mixing points. I just, I thought that was a really interesting podcast episode and I would highly encourage people to listen to it. We'll put a link in the show notes. And it just to me was for someone who, again, who has spent the last few years being, you know, fairly ingrained in the fire and FI community, mm -hmm. it was just a reminder to enjoy my money. But I'll give like a personal example. There were times when Mike, who is my former co-host with Friends on Fire and his wife Britta would sometimes like tease me or kind of give me a hard time about big expensive purchases and splurging on things. And I don't know how like serious they were, but sometimes I think even Britta would say like, oh, how can you have a fire podcast and then talk about, you know, and then go buy that or go buy a Tesla or like all these other things. <laughs> and I just think this, it's one of the things I really like about this concept because it's not an either or thing to me. You can like, you, again, I, I think it's one of the flaws in the fire community in some ways is like, it doesn't always need to be all about frugality. There is no award. I'm going to keep quoting you forever, Liz, on, right? There's no award for like the most frugal person in the world. Yeah, it's fun. I like being frugal in certain aspects of my life. Yeah. I enjoy it. But then there's other times where it's not enjoyable yeah. and it's psychologically damaging and, you know, it, it creates anxiety in my right. life. Well, everything's a spectrum. Everything's a cycle, right? I think there's this idea. I don't know if this is true or not, but we have this paradigm that Americans don't save and spend money mindlessly. And in some ways, the fire movement was intended to be a reaction to that. And I think you get some content like this book, I think 
think is a great example. Some of the things Ramit Sethi talks about, I think is a good example of like backlash is too strong of a word, but if fire was a reaction to the sort of stereotypical going into debt overspending, this is a reaction to the the overly frugal habits that some people in the fire community bring. And, you know, like we talk about all the time, if someone wanted to play an inside out money drinking game, I think like balance experiences, intentional, right. Use your money as a tool. Value-based. Right. Values. Oh, that's a good one. Frugality. Frugal. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun. We should come up with like an inside out. We should. Okay. Like a bingo. It'd be good. It'd be like uh, the, God, who is it? Um, What's her name? I really like that has the um, cheesy holiday movie bingo. Oh. The Budget Girl. Go Budget Girl came up with. And I love it. And because I really like watching... Yeah, like small town business that needs to be saved. Uh Yeah, girl like returns to their hometown Hometown, after some breakup. Yeah, it was like all these kind of cliches of these situations. Okay, we'll work on our bingo. Okay, we'll work on it for next time. I mean, I guess, Maggie, if you had to sum up Die With Zero in two words, what would they be? Mine would be in another language, but I think you'll all get it. Carpe diem, right? That means seize the day for those who don't know that. Three words in English. Uh, I think you could sum up this book in, if I had to, in in four words, it would be travel in your 20s. Nice. I like it. And if you only get three, you could just do travel in 20s. Yeah. Or spend money on experiences, which is- Spend money now. Oh, yeah. You're good at being succinct sometimes. Experience. (laughs) Do like a Yoda- (laughs) Most <laughs> of the time, let's be clear. We do like a Yoda version, like money, spend, experiences. Yeah, yeah. Experiences, spend, money. Well, I this is a, this is a fun topic. Like I, I enjoy these like more like existential. I don't know if that's exaggerative for this, but just these thought provoking discussions about money and why we save, why it's here. What are we doing? Like, why, why is it? What's money yeah. for? Right, right. Yeah, I've enjoyed talking about this with you. I read this book last year and I've talked about it a little bit online, but it was really fun to go deep on the topic with you. So thanks for yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being here. Speaking of that, so thanks for all of you being here. Thank you guys for listening. We know your time is limited and valuable. We always appreciate we always appreciate you spending some of it with us. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a written review on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars on Spotify. We appreciate it so so much. We also encourage you to share this episode with a friend or family member to encourage ongoing discussions about money. I think this episode in particular is a really fun one to send to somebody else and have a meaningful conversation about your plans with money. And do you want to die with zero? And what do you think about it? Yeah, I agree. Talk to friends and family, how we can create more memories together. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Maggie has actually made sure you can subscribe on every single podcast platform that has ever existed in the world. Yeah, I think I submitted it to like a lot of them. Ones I had never heard of, honestly. Okay. If you have any thoughts or questions, we always love to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail or text us at 404-981-3370, or you can hit us up on Instagram at Inside Out Money. Liz, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Liz Gets Loaded. You also have a podcast, Liz. I don't know if we talk about that enough. I do have a podcast. It is the same name, Liz Gets Loaded. It's called Liz Gets Loaded. Yeah. I guess I figured if you followed me on Instagram, then you'll eventually hear me talk about the podcast. Yeah, true. It's a great podcast. It's Liz talking in her closet 
it drinking wine and talking about money. Yeah. Money and anxiety. Yeah. I have both. And wine. And I wine. Know, you have the best tagline, like money and anxiety. I have both. I also have both <laughs> in case anyone was curious. I think okay. most of us do. <laughs> All right. I, I know you're big into your like inside out, but I was, I was having a clueless moment the other day and I was like, what if we ended the episode with like inside outie? That, that could work because just so you know, nothing's ever landed as like a consistent ending. So yeah, I'm down <laughs> with inside out. Do we say it in sync? Oh, I don't. You want to try it? Sure. Okay. One, two, three. Inside, Inside Audi. Audi. <laughs> I feel that like I'm good. saying Audi and talking about your car, though. Yeah, my fancy, fancy car. Yeah, your electric, electric Audi. Yeah. It's funny that the word Audi spelled very differently and Audi, like your belly button Audi, are spelled the same. Yeah. I don't know what made me think that. I was just thinking of Clueless and when they're like, Bye, I'm Audi, and that was so. I like it. Audi. It, was it so wasn't fun. like Audi five thousand or something. Wasn't it like a phrase mm. at some point? There was like a number after it. It was like cool to be like I'm Audi three thousand. Oh man, you're so much cooler. I don't know what I'm you. thinking about. I don't know. Is making now. I've now now I'm thinking about Andre three thousand. I'm going to Outcast. We're like at this point, we should just say goodbye. Okay, okay bye, Liz. Bye. bye. bye.